This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Reports that say there's that, that, that something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. You may recognize that voice, but that is the late Donald Rumsfeld. Donald Rumsfeld was born July 9, 1932, in Chicago, Illinois. He died June 29, 2021, in Taos, New Mexico, at the age of 88. Rumsfeld's father served in the Navy during World War II, and Rumsfeld himself followed in his footsteps as a pilot in the Navy in the 1950s. He served on active duty for a brief period of time, and then continued to serve in the reserves and inactive reserves until he retired as a captain in 1989. And following his time in the active duty Navy, Rumsfeld ran and was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives for Illinois' 13th District. And he began an ascension up the political ranks that happened very quickly. In 1974, President Ford, who inherited a White House in disarray following Nixon's resignation as president after the Watergate scandal, appointed Rumsfeld his chief of staff, and later as the Secretary of Defense in in 1975 and he served in the role as Secretary of Defense for the first time from 1975 to 1977. And an interesting note here, which I didn't, I guess, put the pieces together about prior to researching for this episode, but Rumsfeld actually oversaw the transition to an all-volunteer force during his tenure as SecDef. And that is so commonplace today, many of us were not even alive to have known that it wasn't that way, except in the history books, but it's true. There was a draft as part of the war in Vietnam. And I knew, I guess intuitively, that the transition had to happen after Vietnam because prior to that, there was a draft. But I never put two and two together that this all happened under Rumsfeld. So, you see, listener, I learn a lot as I research these things as well. And this leads us to the station which Rumsfeld occupied for most of us as his most well-known position, which was his second period of service as the Secretary of Defense, which he began in 2001 in January, and continued through 2006. And this, of course, means that Rumsfeld was in office when the terrorist attacks of 9-11 occurred in New York and D.C. and Pennsylvania. Attacks which changed the world as we know it to this day. Rumsfeld, of course, was the senior military advisor to President George W. Bush on actions in both Iraq and Afghanistan. The latter of those two only just formally ended in August of last year. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the controversies, some of the controversies, I guess, related to both of those conflicts. As my intent in this podcast is always to give voice to words of high quality, regardless of the source, but never to whitewash the originator. And in this case, Rumsfeld deserves certain criticisms. For example, one of the justifications for invading Iraq was the alleged intelligence that then-dictator Saddam Hussein held weapons of mass destruction, or WMDs, as they're more commonly known. This springboard for the conflict proved to be demonstrably false, 
but not before billions of dollars and far, far too many service members' lives had been spent. Additionally, in Iraq, the Abu Ghraib prisoner abuse and torture scandal occurred during his tenure. And while he was physically far removed from the actions of those involved, the stain of those incidents did significant harm to the already questionable motives and moral high ground under which the U.S. was operating in the Middle East. And Afghanistan was not as fraught with controversy in Rumsfeld's time as Iraq had been. Much of the Afghan controversy came later. But one particularly poorly aged quote of Rumsfeld's is one I remember specifically from the early 2000s. It actually occurred in 2002, the same year as today's quote, the different speech, in which Rumsfeld announced that, quote, the war is over in Afghanistan. Clearly, he was off by about two decades. All of that said, Rumsfeld's words in today's quote are also, as I mentioned, from 2002, and were given on the topic of WMDs I just mentioned. And the quote has received a lot of criticism over the years for some reason, much of which I can't understand, but I suppose it's probably because it makes something that we kind of understand sound more complicated and therefore more intellectual than maybe it actually is. More on that in a little bit, but I'm going to play it for you again. And while it may sound a little bit like a complex idea, it's something that I would argue we all actually know, no pun intended, intrinsically. So here's the quote for you one more time. Remember, this is Rumsfeld speaking in 2002 on the topic of weapons of mass destruction. Reports that say there's, that, that, that something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. And again, here we are 20 years later, and this quote still sticks with me. Why? Well, probably because there's some wisdom in this quote. And again, setting aside political beliefs, either for or against, forget about that for a moment. Think about the words that the man said. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it until I started working up show notes for this episode of why this stood out to me so much, why my mind keeps going back to this. But certainly there are many reasons, right? The first, his statement about unknown unknowns is an important concept for all of us as mature adults. One thing that distinguishes us from other animals is our ability to project out into the future. And then, having that projection held in our minds, alter our current decision-making processes based on that projected future. What I mean by this is animals are very instinctual. They respond without forethought. They respond without projecting out into the future to imagine the consequences that they have. It's purely instinct. It's purely response to ingrained behaviors of survival that they have developed over generations and generations of the strongest surviving their surroundings. Dogs bark at things that move in the bushes. Why? In an attempt to scare off what could be a predator. Birds instinctively fly away, even when we don't mean them any harm. We just want to feed them or pet them. Why? Because every other time that any of their ancestors didn't do exactly that, they were captured, eaten, killed. So the smart ones learn to fly away at the merest presence of something in their vicinity. Those are instinctual responses. That's not a bird projecting out into the future in their mind and saying, if I stick around here, this person could feed me or pet me, but more than likely they're going to grab me and kill me and eat me. A bird's not doing that. A bird is simply taking flight because it is afraid. 
Same thing with a dog. A dog barks at a shadow in the bushes, not because it's thinking, well, it could be a predator. It could also be something that I want to chase. It could be food. Hey, I wonder if my owner's in those bushes and they're just looking to pet me and love on me. No, the dog is responding instinctually to an unknown. Right. But that's the difference, again, between us and those animals is that we can project out into the future. We can imagine a world as we would like it to be or as it may be. And we can then backpropagate that future projection into our current state and alter our behavior as a result of what we want or what could be in the future. An example of this from the human perspective would be working out or, or going to the gym. Why do we do this? Well, presumably for most of us, it's a desire for our future self to be better, be that heart health or waistline or desire to look good naked or whatever, than our current self. Otherwise, what person would actively choose to run outside when it's hot out or pick up weights and swing it around or press it or pull it or whatever? Why would you choose to do that if it weren't for some benefit down the road? A future that you can project out into. There's a future that you have imagined and projected and used that to override your current desire for a Cheeto and Oreo filled couch plus Netflix existence. Why? Because we are in pursuit of that better self. We make a decision today based on a future self or a future world that we wish to live in. The same logic applies to attending college or any other professional school. We do it for what we will hopefully achieve later as a result. And we do this all the time. So why does the concept matter here in relation to this quote? Well, if, and you know as well as I do, that's a big if, we can internalize the idea that we don't even know that or what we don't even know sometimes, we might change our current behavior. And that sounded like a crazy statement. It probably, if you, if you laughed at the Rumsfeld quote, you probably laughed at what I just said. But here's an example. We all know that there's a lot of classified work that goes on in a government. And again, this is any government, not just the United States. Every government has classified efforts. And for good reason, right? There are projects and efforts and initiatives which, were they broadly known, would be ineffective or significantly compromise national interests. Again, any country, not just the U.S. And I'll say with certainty, they're not shadowy cabals with nefarious intent. The vast majority of people on this planet, in fact, do not know the details or even the existence of any number of those classified efforts. Those are, therefore, unknown unknowns. We don't even know that we don't know of them. Which is why it's always so shocking when things are declassified 50 or 60 years after the fact and we go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that was going on 50 or 60 years ago. Of course you didn't. It was an unknown unknown. And we accept this as a matter of course and of necessity to go about our daily lives. The extension of that is we ought not, therefore, be quite so certain about some of the things about which we may feel we are most certain. Why? Because we can't be sure that we have all the information. We just can't. We operate with a lot of uncertainty, and we're wired to attempt to drive that uncertainty to zero as to be able to function. It's awfully hard to make a definitive decision when you're waffling between many options due to a lack of information. So what do we do? Well, we draw a line somewhere arbitrarily in the sand. We plant a flag and say, I know enough, and then we proceed. And what's interesting is we may actually be correct. 
Pursuing additional information may actually be detrimental or reduce the timeliness and effectiveness of our decisions. Any military leader has heard the old adage, quote, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week, end quote. That is actually a George Patton quote, for those that don't know. But we hear that all the time. I would rather have you take an 80% solution today and go execute it and do so with energy and vigor than wait until you have received all of the information tomorrow or next week or next month before you execute. And there's a hidden piece of information there. And what Patton doesn't say, but he probably would have been able to verbalize had somebody pulled the thread on this, is that the reason that a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week is because there is no perfect plan. There is no perfect set of information which yields a perfect, which works through a perfect algorithm and comes out with a perfect plan on the other side. Next week, there will still be things that you don't know. Some things you will know that you don't know. And as Rumsfeld says, there will be plenty of things that you don't know that you don't know. Therefore, your perfect plan is, by definition, imperfect, or arguably, slightly better than the good plan you have today. Which is why someone like Patton can say something confidently of a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. And it's at that exact point where we cut off new inputs. We halt the influx of information lest we second-guess ourselves. This is why, after one purchases a home, one does not continue to look at more homes on the market. Because why would you torment yourself? You made a decision. You had enough information to make a decision. Why would you continue to look at the other decisions you could have made? And so when we apply this to decision-making, known unknowns and unknown unknowns must be considered. But only just, right? But they should make us more cautious in our, quote, certainty. No area does this more apply to than our judgment of others. And that's right. I went there. I would argue that we don't know much, if anything, about the individual lives of the people around us. With the very small exception of our significant others and our families, we very, very rapidly lose detailed information, moving just one degree of separation beyond that. And I'm not going to beat this topic to death, but we should, as future projecting mature adults, recognize our acute and near total lack of understanding of the everyday plights and aspirations of others when we make judgments about them. End of speech. I'll leave it at that. Another fascinating concept that I learned while researching this episode, which relates directly to the Rumsfeld quotes, is that of the Johari window. And I won't attempt to describe it here, but I will put an image of it on the website for you to take a look at on your own. But the Johari window is designed to help people better understand their relationship with themselves and with others. It essentially lays out in graphic format the three understandings that Rumsfeld noted, plus a fourth, which is the unknown known. Which sounds a little counterintuitive, right? An unknown known. How can I know something but not know that I know it? Well, the Johari window would label this as a blind spot. Right? This is something that may be visible to the outsider, but not necessarily visible to you. And it could be a personality trait, it could be a capability. That's probably the best example of this, is a capability that you have that you don't necessarily realize that you have, but is very apparent and visible to the outside world. I hope that makes that particular understanding a little bit easier to, I guess, understand. But 
the Johari window explains these things. And this is a long-held psychological tool that predates Rumsfeld's speech by quite some time. The fact that Rumsfeld came out and talked about known knowns and known unknowns and unknown unknowns shouldn't really strike us as all that surprising. This had been a concept for quite some time and is it's a well-known psychological phenomenon. And one, again, that we probably know intuitively, but like many of our quotes, when they're finally put into words, they make a lot more sense. And certainly, Rumsfeld's quote, while potentially a little bit difficult to ingest at first glance, is easier to ingest than, say, the Johari window, just looking at it. And my hope is that the at the end of all of this, between Rumsfeld's quote and the Johari window, it should be clearer to us now that some introspection might be in order. And man, oh man, do we love some introspection around here. What do we know? What do we not know? Do we know that we don't know something? Perhaps, if we know that we don't know something, that's an area to seek out knowledge. Do we not know that we don't know something? Perhaps that is an area for humility and for pause. And that's the lesson that I take away from this quote, and I will continue, I'm sure, for another 20 years to more fully understand it. And I hope that you will too. We can't and don't and never will know everything. We should be a little bit humble with that knowledge. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod. Or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks, as always, for listening.